0: It is Tuesday, November 17th, and President-elect Joe Biden has pledged to sign the Equality Act in his first 100 days in office. Welcome back to the Approach Podcast. I'm Tom Ella. And if you're unfamiliar with the Equality Act, it is an amendment to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that outlawed discrimination based on race, religion, sex, and national origin, but not on sexual orientation or gender identity. The House of Representatives passed the Equality Act in 2019, but Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has refused to bring it up for a vote and President Donald Trump has publicly opposed it. Biden's team has called swift passage of the bill a quote, top priority regardless of Senate control. Biden has also pledged to ban conversion therapy, move up the goal to end the HIV epidemic by five years to 2025, and roll back many of the Trump administration's changes that have slowly chipped away at the rights of LGBTQ Americans. There's a lot for the LGBTQ community to feel hopeful about but that doesn't change the reality on the ground today. Without the Equality Act, discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity is still legal in 29 states, and at least 34 transgender or gender non-conforming people have been murdered this year alone, already an all-time high. Last Thursday, I went to the Stonewall protest, a weekly demonstration fighting for black queer and black trans lives organized by activists Joel Rivera and Queen Jean it always begins at the stonewall inn in Greenwich village in manhattan chosen for the violent riots that began there on june 28, 1969 in response to police brutality and discrimination leading to the gay liberation movement true to history today's nypd has been steadily ramping up its response to the stonewall protests often sending hundreds of officers to trail just feet behind the march Despite this, the Stonewall protests have remained the most consistently popular march in the city, pulling hundreds of demonstrators in extravagant dress each week who refer to Thursdays as church. I joined the crowd to find out why. Now I'm
1: here with, actually, do you want to be Stephen or Neptune? How do you... Neptuneite. No, okay, okay. <laughs> Neptuneite. And what are your pronouns? I don't have a preference. You can just refer to me as he. Well, there we go. <laughs> now you've been, you're, you got a bike today, but like, I feel like whether you're gonna be on a bike or on foot or, or leading the march, or that's kind of up in the air, it seems like every week. Yeah. What's, it is. What's
2: your general role at <laughs> Stonewall? My, gen- my general role is as one of the bikers, the reason you saw me on foot a lot in, in, in the past like month or two was because like my old bike got stolen from me. Oh, so right. So I just like ended up marching by foot because I was not about to start going to marches just because I'm not on a bike anymore. Yeah. And then the community got me a new bike and now I'm back as a biker again. Unless I have a really nice outfit, then I'll come in by foot. <laughs> <laughs> That's what determines it now. Right, Whether exactly. or not you're going to turn enough of a look. Period. Love it.
1: <laughs> now, um, what I guess what makes Stonewall so special for you?
2: what makes the wall so special for me is that it's an opportunity for me to finally feel heard and seen and appreciated it's unlike any other movement i've ever been in because of the fact that it focuses on the black trans community as well as the black queer community and i as a gender non-conforming man feel very accepted into that for once because in my own community i never feel that in the rest of society outside of this movement i never feel that so this is a good opportunity for not 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 only for me to be in my own authentic skin and be appreciated for it but for me to also like give my thoughts on a variety of topics now
1: you i mean you've told me i mean this was really striking to me when, when we talked about it on the subway that one day about the homophobia that exists within the black community um can you speak to that a little bit because i think that that
2: is going to be i feel like surprising to some people who aren't as familiar so when you live in the bronx in a very undercare for community there tends to be a lack of education as well as the oppression that goes on within the communities as well. One of the big prominent forms of oppression that goes on in the Bronx for people like me specifically is homophobia as well as transphobia. I basically go and I fight for black lives in downtown, in Queens, in Brooklyn, only to then come home back to the Bronx and get ridiculed because of the way I dress. There is this huge presence of machismo that goes on in the Bronx, specifically in groups of color and it doesn't matter whether i've been out there fighting or not to them uh, even if they knew it wouldn't have made much of a difference at the end of the day i'm still gay and that is unacceptable so that that type of thing runs rampant in our communities because we've yet to get out of that mentality and i feel like people who are in like more privileged communities they've already like moved you know for the most part they've moved they've moved past Having homophobic thoughts and like, you know, bullying people who happen to be gay. And it's like it also comes with with, with with this with this viewpoint that it's more expected for a white guy to be feminine or gay than it is a black guy or Latino guy to be feminine or gay. Like that thing is incredibly looked down upon across all, you know, across queer people of all colors, but mainly on black and brown people. Because we're supposed to be macho. And it and it stems from basically generations and generations of homophobia and racist, you know, ways being passed down generation to generation and it gets to a point where our community, we teach it to ourselves the people who started this bullshit don't even have to lift a finger anymore we're already, like, fighting each other for it we're already policing how we dress so, yeah, there, that, there, there's a huge amount of homophobia that, that, that runs rampant in the Bronx and I've experienced a lot of that dress the way i do or if i'm ever caught like holding hands with another guy that's when the comments would start and if i were to respond that gives them the incentive to instigate and threaten to fight me or even like send me to the hospital or worse yeah i remember you mentioned
1: that you cover up your outfits when you're on the subway that day you cover up your outfits before you get home because otherwise you'll face that discrimination and i found that to be like really I don't know. I guess surprising and depressing, and I mean, it's New York City. You'd, you 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 think this is like liberal bastion of the world or something, but then we still have these gaps in tolerance. Yeah,
2: because it, it it varies. Sorry for the interruption. No, go. Uh, it it really varies upon boroughs. Essentially, yeah. it varies between the richer areas versus the poorer areas. Because when you're in a rich area, you got top-notch education, and you're more likely to think critically. And not take a lot of things that face value. But when you lack the education, especially when it comes to queer history, you tend to, be, uh, you tend to listen to what your parents taught you. A man must love the woman. And they're supposed to be masculine. Women are supposed to be doing feminine things. And then religion comes into play in that as well. Because a lot of people of color, they tend to be very religious. Doing part of what's already been introduced to us in the past. They tend to use that as an excuse to be homophobic as well so because of this religious influence and as well as the fact that we as people who lack education a proper education tend to be very behind on things like gender identity and sexual orientation we don't react very well to it and even even i at one point was ashamed of myself because of my sexuality because i had feminine tastes along with my masculine taste so it's a vicious cycle that's only, that, that's so difficult to break. And it's one of the reasons why I would like to see protests happen, like up in the Bronx and, and in like, poorer areas like Harlem as well. Because visibility forces them to acknowledge that we're here and we're not gonna stand down and feel like we're less than just because of what your religion says, because of what your parents taught you, because of what the society has taught us. Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting because a lot of
1: protests have like a very specific piece of legislation or, or you know, um, a petition or something for you to sign. But in some ways, just the act of being out is the, is the goal for, for a trans visibility march. Absolutely. And, um, I, I do want to ask, so how do you feel like you break or how do you feel like society, I and mean, it's obviously a big question, but how do you feel like society breaks out of that cycle? of passing along that hatred, and what role do you feel like the Stonewall marches in particular play in that?
2: The only way I see that happening is if those who have that privilege and access to said forms of education and awareness would invest in places like the Bronx, as well as Jamaica and Harlem and places like that. Unless that is introduced into those communities, I don't see changes happening in the community anytime soon. And that's what makes a lot of people who happen to be queer want to leave their own communities. And I think the Stonewall protest would be, like, a very instrumental influence in in changing the mindset that less fortunate neighborhoods are in, by visibility alone. And by when when the march stops to, like, say some words of empowerment, some words of wisdom to raise awareness for Black, trans, and queer people. That's a start. It's not going to do anything overnight, and it's definitely going to be a long and grueling world role to play because of how strong the negativity towards the lgbtq plus community is as it is Is but we have to start somewhere and i think by taking the marches up to the bronx which is what stonewall plans to do sooner or later i I think by doing that and raising more visibility i myself am going to start doing like marches up in the bronx as well i think we could really like start causing conversation whether it may cause outrage or anything they could stay mad We've been oppressed for so long and we're still under the threat of being killed. The majority of the black trans deaths you hear about is by our own. So how are people going to go out there and scream black lives matter, but then turn around and demonize other black lives for being queer or transgender or nonconforming? It's like I go out there and I fight for them and then I come back home and then they ridicule me. How does that make sense? Do I have to yell at the top of my lungs that I'm a freaking organizer for Black Lives Matter for them to even respect me a little? And the homophobia is so strong that I can be in fully cisgender clothing, fully masculine clothing, and the second they see me with long box braids, that cancels out everything masculine about me, and I'm automatically a faggot. That's it. I can have a little flower earring that automatically cancels everything masculine about me. And that toxicity runs deep in the queer community in the Bronx as well because they've abided to that heteronormative way. Everybody craves masculinity. That is how strong the homophobia is. Masculinity is at the epitome of what is considered beautiful, what is desired, what is represented. And that's why I have an issue with things like the gay rights movement, because that, the, the gay rights movement, first of all, was started by Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Good. But then it was hijacked by cisgender gay white men bad and then it became about marriage also bad so when marriage got legalized it did nothing for black queer people because look at look at all the representations look at what happens in the real world who do you usually see getting married of the queer community white cisgender men white feminine men the black queer community barely even gets to the boyfriend phase so what did the gay rights movement do for us besides legalized marriage nothing we still hate each other we still use sex as a coping mechanism. We still use drugs as a coping mechanism. I happen to be one of the lucky ones because I, I, I didn't let it consume me, but too many others, they are not lucky. They're down in drugs. They don't know how to love. We are taught to hate ourselves. So how is legalizing gay marriage going to do anything with us when the only ones benefiting from that are cisgender gay men that aren't even black?
1: Um, I honestly, I hesitate to ask you anything else because I don't want to have to cut too much from this interview because that was, that was so eloquent and, um, and, and emotional and and well put. Um, so I don't know. I I want to just thank you for for saying all that and I'll I'll let you get back to the march because it seems like it's about to start anyway. (laughs) Thank Thank you you. so much. Thank Thank you. Wow. Here
3: with Joshua Pacheco. Pacheco, that's Pacheco. Okay. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I've yeah.
1: always mispronounced that in my head. Um, it's all good. Can I ask your pronouns? Uh, my pronouns are they then Great. And okay. So this is. How, how many Stonewalls have you been to at this point?
3: oh I couldn't I couldn't yeah. possibly count like basically um, all of them where I
1: yeah. th- you're such a staple of Stonewall like you're you're both photographer and activist like you you straddle that line in a way that a lot of us don't like you show up you've turned to look and like you've done such a good job incorporating your heritage into it which I think is like so so powerful and cool but like why what's why, why all the effort for Stonewall like what makes it so special to you
3: I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. I mean that I'm a part of the LGBTQ family. I'm a genderqueer uh, individual. Uh, this is home. This is family. Uh, I don't have any other place where I can be unapologetically queer um, or unapologetically Mexican. I understand that I'm mixed and I present extremely white. I am white. I benefit from whiteness. But this is this is the one place where I can I can come as as who I want to be. Maybe not who I even am today, but who I'm trying to be.
1: So this is like, in that way, almost aspirational. Like, yeah. this is the world you want to see, not so much the world that exists. No,
3: world. I mean, absolutely, that's correct. This, this, this world that we're in today only exists on Thursdays. It only exists here. Yeah. As to my knowledge, it's not accessible. anywhere else. You've
1: been a photographer in this for a long time and you've been to countless events. I mean, Stonewall and all the other ones. Um, Why do you think Stonewall seems like it still maintains such a strong audience every week? Whereas a lot of the other marches seem like they've kind of died off a little bit in New York at least. Like The numbers are kind of starting to dwindle in some of the other marches. But Stonewall seems like it's still holding.
3: I think the reason that Stonewall... Like practically exists still is uh, purely based on consistency. I mean, there, there's the emotional community aspect of this, of course. Like, this is the queer community. We're going to show up for the queer community, even though there are a, a lot of straight allies here. It's that it is every single week at the exact same time we know what we're marching for. We know who is leading, and we know that they are inclusive. And if somebody has a voice that needs to speak out. I know for a fact that Queen, Joelle, anyone who has the mic is willing to pass it and amplify whoever's message needs to be amplified. Is there
1: something that you think other organizers could learn from that? Or is that something that's unique to Stonewall because they are so focused?
3: Well, I'll say this. Yes, we are, we we joined here every single week to march for black trans liberation, but it is not only marching and it is not only black trans liberation that we're marching for like I said here is an inclusive space like uh, if I want to get up on that mic and talk about immigration law not that that's my my expertise like I know for a fact that I'd be allowed to I know, and I, I know that they would trust me to tie it into whatever message they have for today and if I don't they're going to do it for me they're going to make sure that it is not some uh, I don't know how to explain it. My point is, regardless of the voices here, whoever wants to speak is always allowed to speak. And Queen and Joelle will will help you if you fumble. You know what I mean? We'll help tie those messages together. Because... There is intersectionality here, and maybe that's what all the other marches are missing is intersectionality. Uh, A lot of marches or a lot of protests, a lot of actions that I've attended have one clear message. It usually only is for one specific group. You know what? I'm going to backtrack and say it's not usually clear. It's honestly not usually clear. And I've seen so many organizers in New York's politics waver, change, and... You know, not to the benefit of the people, to the benefit of themselves. There's a lot of self-interest in activism. At least in every every country, there is self-interest in activism. There's no way for that to not exist. Currently, I think that's where the magic lies in Stonewall protests, because it is self-interest because our leaders are Black and trans women, and they are fighting for those marginalized voices always. And, not, and every march is a little bit different. We will march through gentrified area and we will hold space in these upscale restaurants. I mean, what was it? Like um, last month we went into barber shops in Harlem and we called out the homophobia and the transphobia in the Spanish Harlem community, which was huge. That's never been done on the streets of New York to my knowledge. And it, and it hasn't been done since, but that's just because every single week, yes, we adjourn for Black Trans Liberation, but the way we go about it is is different each time. And it is, in a different way, effective.
1: How would you, because I know Queen Jean and Joelle are like the primary organizers for all this, I guess how would you describe them as like leaders.
3: The tone that you see here, the leadership qualities that you see at Stonewall exists in their everyday life. It doesn't stop once we stop marching.
1: Since this seems like it'll be your last action here in New York City for a, a little while, do you have any I guess like final thoughts or words or, or anything to just kind of either reflect on your time or like a message to to the New York community?
3: Yeah, I do have a message, and it's gonna—it's controversial, and I think that's okay. Just because if there isn't controversy, then we're not thinking—we're compl- very—we're complacent. I'm gonna ride or die for for BLM for the rest of my life. I feel like I always have been, maybe maybe not as hard as I am now, um, but activism in, in my daily life has never not been there, it's always been a part of my life um, and but what we're seeing today in the current political climate of the US um, is, you know less numbers in the streets right, a lot of people place uh, value on numbers um, and that there is, there is some justification to that. But what I will say is there would be a lot more numbers if the activists who have shown up for BLM as well as the, the BLM leaders of New York showed up for actions outside of their own community. Um, and I have not felt as fulfilled as I have been with uh, Mexicanos Unidos. Um and I think that I mean that's obviously because I'm, I'm organizing for my own people. Um, but not a, not a but and and we're fighting for a revolution. An act and we're fighting for abolition and a, a revolution that only comes from showing up for each other. And I wish that the. The leaders that are left, the people that are left, would show up more for the Latin community, for the Asian community. There's been a lot of stigma around around, um, and a lot of criticism towards allies of black people. And me personally, I've shown up every single day and I think everyone can attest to that. I've shown up for every, yep. sing, every single day to every single marginalized group every action that i can and i'm very vocal in my advocacy for every action that i show up for um
1: yeah there are a lot of actions i'll say that i learned exclusively through you
3: thank you yeah. i mean like a lot of responsibility in that yeah <laughs> but like that is my 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 note to leave off on yeah. is um even if you may not understand the language Even if you don't understand the cause, there are marginalized voices speaking outside of the BLM network. And it is imperative that we share those voices, amplify those voices and show up for them because it'll only make them want to show up for us in return.
1: That is, I think that's very wise words to part on. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Thank you for interviewing me. No one ever asked my opinion, (laughs) but I
0: appreciate yeah And that was part one of our look at the Stonewall protests. Thank you to Neptunite and Josh for chatting with me for this week's episode, and thank you for listening. Next Tuesday, we'll be bringing you a snapshot of what it's like to be on the ground, so make sure you're subscribed. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend. NYC Protest Coverage is made up of a talented staff working day and night to keep this ship running smoothly. You can follow us at NYC Protest Coverage on Instagram for breaking news, photos, videos, and live streams. So until next week, we'll see you in the streets.